This is lesson number four on what is the heart, and we have entitled it The Heart Acting Like the Will. Let's review real quick. The, the pertinency of this set of lessons is to show us that our heart is a stewardship that we can totally control. We spent the first lesson proving that the heart and the spirit were not the same, contrary to a lot of teaching over the last 50 years. And that's all right. They, those who taught it were taking it as far as they could see. Everybody has a, a work they pioneer, but it only goes so far, and then the next generation has to pick it up and continue pioneering it. So we proved very soundly in the first lesson that the heart and the spirit were not the same thing. They cannot be the same thing. We're born again in our spirit, and yet we can still have a hard heart, an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. We spent the second lesson proving that our heart is our stewardship and that we can control our heart. Now, if that is true, and it is from the 30, 40, 50, 60 verses we looked at, then we must control our heart, and we can control our heart, and we must align it with the Word of God. So that began our third lesson last week, which was beginning to prove our definition that I believe the Holy Spirit of God gave me in 2008 at the bottom of the 229 stope at the Gordonsville Mind when he spoke to me and said, the heart is the manifestation of the operation of the soul. That is to say, the heart is the mind, what it thinks and keeps on thinking, what it wants and keeps on wanting, and what it emotes and keeps on emoting. So we began to prove last week, if my definition is accurate, we ought to be able to find scriptures that prove the heart acts like the mind. And we looked at about 60 verses that prove that. Today we're going to look at the heart acting like the will. If the heart is the manifestation of what the soul wants and keeps on wanting, we ought to be able to prove biblically that the heart acts like the will, which is what we're going to do today. So let's look at our lesson here. The Bible is a book containing hundreds of commandments, over 1,400 to be exact. It's a lot of commandments. Most of those are in the New Testament, by the way. Only 613 in the Old Testament and over 1,000 in the New uh, 200 of them repeat themselves, so you boil it down to about 850. You do the math, it's over 1,400. When God delivers a command, and every time he speaks, there's typically a command being given, like witness to that person, given this offering, stop doing that. Don't ask God to speak to you if you're disobedient, because you're going to fail life. But please know, if you say, Lord, speak to me, nine times out of ten, it's going to be a command. And it won't make you look good, it will make him look good. Charismatics need to get a hold of that. Right. When God delivers a command, two choices are instantly created. Obey, disobey. Choose life, choose death, choose life. Both involve mankind's will. Even the gospel requires obedience, as Paul observed in Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Serving God requires what we call willing hearts. Even in our vernacular, we admit the heart acts like the will, and it is from our heart that we obey and comply. Unfortunately, this is becoming harder and harder to find. That is willing hearts that will give their all to God. One of the mantras I live by, and I don't probably teach it enough. I ought to start saying it more. I've been, from time to time, I'll say, and I meditate on this little simple thought. What would be possible if a man or woman completely submitted to God? What could God do with a man or a woman who fully submitted to God? No if, ands, buts, or grandchildren. No if, ands, buts, or children. No if, and buts, or big careers. What could God really accomplish with the person 
if they fully yielded to God. A willing heart is classified as a soft and tender heart, while a disobedient heart is commonly referred to as a stubborn heart, a hard heart, an impenitent heart, or as being stiff-necked. These are all Bible terms I think we're familiar with. The concept we need to understand is that we can control our will. That's what we need to look at. You can control what you want. Well, I don't want to. Well, get a want to. You have to obey. Might as well get your heart right along the way. This nation is deceived and going to hell because we've taught people they had a choice. When it comes to Jesus Christ, our only choice is obedience. Our nation is the most lawless generation ever conceived on planet Earth. We were birthed in lawlessness, which was a little good 245 years ago. But now it's in our churches, it's in our pulpits, it's in our worship teams. Our mindset is, who are you to tell me what to do? And we have to reject that. Our, all of our promotion in the kingdom is dependent upon our submission of our will to God's will. The concept we need to understand is that we can control our will. This is never more evident than in the Lord's Prayer of Consecration, Luke twenty-two forty-two, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Mark's version says, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Modern version says, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus Christ demonstrates to us we can change what we want and we can submit every want to the wants of God. But that takes maturity and you have to choose to do that. You have to decide you want that. We have given the heart's definition as the manifestation of the operation of the soul of man, that is, the manifestation of the operation of the mind, the will, and the emotions of man, whether born again or lost. Because even lost people have a heart. They have a heart full of faith to do this or to do that. They pursue things out of their heart. They have an angry heart, a happy heart, a joyful heart. They might have a heart for God like Cornelius did. He was just lost. Think about Cornelius the centurion. He had a heart for God, but he was dead in his spirit, man. And his alms came up as a memorial for God. One of the worst charismatic doctrines is that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. Then how do they get saved? God doesn't hear the cry of the lost. Then how do they get missionaries sent to them? Come on. God hears the hearts of everybody. And Cornelius had an awesome heart for God which is why God gave him an angel and God gave Peter a vision and God supernaturally brought them all together because Cornelius had a wonderful heart that feared God, honored the Torah, but he hadn't heard the gospel message yet. And then at the same time, Peter's the born again one, but he's a racist and he's reluctant to go preach to the Gentiles because they're unclean. So he's born again in his spirit, but has a vile heart of prejudice. Amen. The heart is whatever a man thinks and keeps on thinking. Here we're going to look at whatever a man wants and keeps on wanting and whatever a man emotes and keeps on emoting. We'll look at emotions next week. If we can control our desires and desires are wants, we think, uh, then we can align our hearts with God's desires. You can submit your wants and your dreams and your aspirations to the will of God. It's the whole premise of being a servant. Our nation taught us to have our cake and eat it too and to chase our dreams. Our nation has taught us that there's nothing more sacred than personal ambition, and that's a lie. We were created to pursue God and his wants for our life. 
This lesson will evaluate the scriptures that demonstrate the heart-will connection. In the following verses, observe how the heart has purposes, that's wills, desires, that's wills, stubbornness, when you're stubborn, it's because you don't want to, intentions, what you intend to do, our heart has a will, and our heart even has lusts. Lusts are just really strong wants. Not all lust is sexual. The Bible says lust after the best gift, same Greek word, zelos. And so we're going to have to understand how if we can change what we want, we can change our heart. You'll notice in your life that your life will steer towards what you want. And if you want it bad enough, you'll sell the farm to get it. And if you've been around long enough to know what you want today passionately, five years from now, you'll say, eh, it's just not important anymore. Sometimes the Lord sees that and says, that's why I didn't give it to you five years ago. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But he does, in a sense, hang us out to dry, send us a dry season to see how deep those roots of want go. To see after five years, if you still really want it, I'm going to give it to you. God, sometimes we're like kids, my kids in Walmart. You never take my son Bud Bud down any toy aisle because you will excite and create instant desire. I want that. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Yes, please, Daddy. No, 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 I want that. Can I have that too, please, Daddy? That's why we don't go down the toy aisle because it instantly creates new wants. And I'm a smart enough dad to know I'm not spending money on that because you're not going to want it five minutes after we get home. That's why we have to learn to have patience in our prayer life as well. Genesis 8, 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart. Do you know the Lord has a heart? Because the heart is the manifestation of the soul. Do you know the Lord has a soul? Because the Lord has a mind. The Lord has a will. The Lord has emotions. Therefore, the Lord has a soul. Though he's a spirit, and it manifests as his heart. This definition, I've been working on this definition for over 20 years. It solves every problem. We're still tweaking a few things, but man, if I was a scientist, I'd be getting a Nobel Prize for this. I'm just going to be clear on it. <laughs> Amen. The Lord said in his heart, I will. So there's a flexing of his will in his heart. I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. God has a heart and he purposes things in his heart, even as we do in ours. This is one of the ways we're made in his image. Our next one of our future lessons will be the voice of the heart. And there's probably 25 or 30 verses, maybe more, maybe less, that say, say not in the heart. Or they said in their heart because our heart has a voice. Right. And that's the beginnings of faith. Remember, Romans 10 says, what saith the, the spirit of faith? Uh, the righteousness of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thy heart. Faith begins by what you shouldn't say in your heart. What speaketh? What saith the righteousness which is of faith? Say not in thy heart. Here we see the Lord saying things in his own heart. Second right. Samuel 3.21, And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desires. We're just looking at verses that prove the heart is the manifestation of the will what it wants and keeps on wanting. What does your heart desire? And David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Job 31.7 in the New Living Translation. If I have strayed from his pathway or if my heart 
has lusted for what my eyes have seen, or if I am guilty of any other sin. Job observed, if my heart has lusted. That's a strong, passionate desire. It doesn't imply sexuality, though it could. Maybe he saw a brand new car and he lusted after it. Maybe he saw a bigger house and he lusted after it. Your, your eyes will always help create new wants in your heart. This is Christmas season, right? And you're seeing stuff and you think, ooh, I want that. You didn't want it till you saw it. You didn't even know it existed till Zulily sent that email to my wife. Yeah. Amen. Right. <laughs> yeah, God bless those algorithms. They are proving my doctrine every 10 seconds. You don't know it's there till you see it, and all of a sudden your heart says, I want that. Amen. We are all familiar with our hearts giving birth to lust after our eyes have seen something, be it a possession, food, a person, or an action. The Bible warns us of the lust of the eyes because it will affect our heart's desires. That's why we put a guard over our eyes so that we don't end up chasing things we don't really want or need or people we shouldn't have, think, or know about. Psalm 17, 3, Thou hast proved my heart. All right, David, well, what did God find in your heart? Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shall find nothing. I am purposed. So God proved David's heart, and David said, there's purposes in my heart. I purposed, we might imply, in my heart that my mouth shall not transgress. The psalmist heart purposed to keep a holy mouth. Let me stop here and just make mention of the fact that just because you want it momentarily in your soul doesn't mean you're going to really pursue it. Just like you can have a thought momentarily in your head, but it doesn't mean it's emanating or changing your heart. You can have wants and say, shut up. No, I'll just cast it out. I want to give that person the bird. Shut up. We don't need to give them the bird. You know, that vulgar hand gesture. I, I feel like I want to tailgate them. I do that a lot, actually. My wife says, you're not going to help the situation. I said, they're speeding up, aren't they? <laughs> Just because you have a fleeting want doesn't mean you can hang on to it or should hang on to it or will hang on to it. You can hear a message from the pulpit and it give you hope and an instant desire for whatever God promised, but it doesn't mean you're going to have it still Wednesday. That's why we keep preaching and preaching and preaching so we can create a biblical want in your soul in hopes that it will stick and define your heart. We'll tell you, you should go to church and be faithful. It don't mean you want to. But we keep telling you that so that want grows and it becomes part of your heart and you no longer need me preaching it at you. Your heart automatically drives you here on time. So we preach to change your heart and part of what we have to adjust is your desires. Psalm 27, 8, when thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Or we could say, I will seek thy face. When you said, Lord, seek my face, my heart said, I will, I will, I want to. God could say, seek my face. And some Christians say, no, I don't want to. And it's a voice of their heart answering the commandment of God. Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And notice it isn't just a whimsical desire, but it's a, a desire that has been so a part of your life. It's entrenched. It's marinated your heart. It's the desire. 
It's, it's a deep-rooted thing. Thank God, as we said previously, he doesn't just answer our whimsical wants. And you need to be mindful of that, that there are some things that take work. Uh, they take a pursuing. If you want it, and you want it bad enough, you're going to want it a year from now. You're going to want it two years from now. You're going to want it five years from now. God bless those mamas that after 10 years are still trying to get pregnant. They have not given up. It makes them want it even more if their heart doesn't faint. And there are times when I know the Lord by his divine wisdom withholds things from us just to watch our want grow deeper. So we'll appreciate it even more. He doesn't want us to be spoiled kids that just give us anything out of the Sears and Roebuck wish book. He wants us to be so appreciative when we give it it we can't help but tell everybody about how we got it. And if he just gave us everything, 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 we'd just be spoiled brats. And I say that to encourage you in your faith because 1 John tells us if we pray according to his will, we know he hears us. And we know if he hears us, we know we have the petitions we have desired of him. But that doesn't mean you get it instantly. We believe we receive it, thank God. But he's also growing us up and making sure we have deep roots of desire for his things. There are desires that are fleeting, and then there are desires that burn within us. One of the things my pastor in Indy said is, God has not called us to cope. He's called us to conquer. And I think sometimes what we want today, if we don't get it instantly, we give up on it, and we just resort to coping. And we are never permitted of God to cope with what he says we can have. But we must contend for the promises that were once delivered unto us. Too many Christians just cope. You pray for healing for six weeks, you don't get it, so then you just cope. You pray for provision for six weeks, you don't get it, so you just cope. You pray for that loved one to come back to Christ, he doesn't come back to Christ, so you just cope. And that is weak Christianity. We are determined of God to ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. I know we were taught in the faith revival that if you ask once after that, it's sin. But that doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. Because the Bible says, ask, and the Greek says, and keep on asking. And knock, and keep on knocking. And seek, that's what the Greek implies, and keep on seeking. For everyone that asks and keeps on asking gets. And everyone that seeks and keeps on seeking. And why did the Lord say this? He said this, that men would pray and cease not. Pray and faint not. These were parables and teachings put forth to keep us in the presence of God, to keep knocking. Because remember before that, he says he kept knocking and his friend would not get up because he was friends, but his friend said, I'll get up, not because we're friends, but because if I don't, he will weary me. And he'll give him more than he asks for. Please go away. And then, of course, the implication is of how much more mercy and love is our father. He's not just a friend that we can knock on the door at 2 a.m. and get a loaf of bread. He's our father. All right. But our desires must also be subjected to God's word. We might say, though, that if your desires are entrenched and perverted, the devil will make sure you get them because your heart will be pulled that direction. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. For thou, Satan, hast said in thine heart. Did you know Satan has a heart? Because Satan has a soul. Because Satan has a mind. He has a will. He has emotions. Satan said in his heart, I will. There's him flexing his want. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, I want to stop and point out, Satan didn't actually do anything, yet 
He simply said, I will five times, and that got him cast down. This is like what we saw with Simon the sorcerer. Repent for the thoughts of your heart. We must often repent for the desires of our heart. The wants of Satan were strong enough to get him cast out. I don't know what your eschatology is, but I'm not convinced the tale has swept the stars yet. Old eschatology that I used to believe said when Satan fell, he swept the stars with the tail, grabbed a third of them. My eschatology is changing. I'm not sure that has happened yet. I think it's future tense for the principalities of the heavens. My eschatology also says you don't have to agree that Satan still has access to the throne of God because he's the accuser of the brethren. You don't have to agree with that, but I'm just saying his eye wills were so strong he was cast down cursed. That shows us that you can't just secretly want. Let, let me take a, a sidestep and say, same-sex Christian attraction is unbiblical. And same-sex attraction is a sin because you can control what you want. It is an apostasy and a heresy and a lie for preachers to look at the congregation and say, you can't control who you desire, and it's not a sin to be attracted to the same sex. Lucifer got kicked out of heaven for what he wanted. It was a sinful want that consumed him, so is same-sex attraction. It's a lie from the pulpit that says you can't control who you love. can't control what you want. Hogwash. You can, and you better. Amen. Like God and man, Satan also has a heart and a will. His heart determines his agenda. He is irredeemable. He, he, his is an irredeemable heart, and we need to be mindful of that. We don't want to give him hope. He's going to hell. There are heretics that say Satan will be saved one day. I think, what Bible are you reading from? When has that ever been a church doctrine? Jeremiah 5.23, But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. A revolt, a revolution, and a rebellion is a flexing of the want. They are revolted and gone. Israel didn't always have a revolting and rebellious heart. It had slowly grown that way. We're watching that in the church today. We're watching the great falling away. People are saying, I don't believe that anymore. By the fact that they admit, I used to believe it, but now I don't, they're demonstrating that their heart is totally under their control, and they are divesting faith away from God and his doctrine and reinvesting it into Marxist, pagan, antichrist doctrines and beliefs. Jeremiah 30, 24. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it and until he have performed the intents of his heart. Here we see the Lord having a heart and intentions in his own heart. In the latter days, you shall consider it. God's heart contains his intentions, and at times those intentions include wrath and fierce anger. We cannot forget that God is not simply a God of love. He's also a God of wrath. He's a God of anger. We have overemphasized the love of God. It would be decent to come back. It would be proper to come back and emphasize his severity, his anger, his zeal, his jealousy, his righteous indignation. It would be proper to come back and balance out the equation, except that it doesn't fill the pews. Parents love their children, but when they parent proper, kids know there's a line you don't cross with mom and dad. They learn the parameters. 
One of the reasons you spank children is to teach them they are not your equal. It is a heresy from the pit of hell to not spank your children. I'm not talking child abuse. I'm talking about the rod of correction applied to the seed of wisdom brings a change of heart. Two country hams, left cheek, right cheek, no vital organs anywhere near, meat covered with fat, and yet sensitive. Very sensitive skin. You ever pinched yourself in the, the bum? It's, it's un, unreasonably sensitive. Why, if you sit on that thing all day, is it so sensitive? You ever, you ever played with a barbed wire tool? There were once several morons that lived in the house off a of peach tree. One of them is a missionary whose last name rhymes with Scudder. And they had a roommate, and some, for whatever reason, I was hanging out with these morons. And they were playing with a barbed wire tool. A barbed wire tool is a set of pliers that looks like a squid's beak. There's a hammering side, and then there's a side that, that's very fiercely aggressive, and it pinches the barbed wire, and then you can, it's arced, so you can stretch the barbed wire and then hammer the post tighter. Country folk get it, and I've done a lot of fence mending. I think it was Benedict who decided to grab my cheek with one of those. And I'm telling you, it looks like a parrot's beak or a squid's beak. It drew blood, and I almost killed my Japanese friend. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. The Lord designs our bum cheeks to be that way. Totally protected. They don't even bruise easy. You wear that little bum out and apply correction, apply wisdom to the seat of instruction to bring about a change of heart. But if you don't love your kids, you won't spank them. You'll believe secular doctrine. Amen. And so what we've got to understand is that God wants to correct us. There's a severity to him. We don't just love, 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 love. He corrects us. And he, there's a line. When you walk with God, there's a time when you know you crossed a line with him. And he'll say, no, you do that again. Just wait and see. Amen. Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the princes of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I want you to see that Daniel purposed something in his heart, and I would almost argue that that made it easy. When you purpose something in your heart, not just out of your volition, not just whimsically, you know, I think I'm going to fast. But when you purpose it with the depths of your heart, it won't be difficult. Too much of what we do is self-deception because we just want it, but it's a fleeting, whimsical want. Instead of meditating on the want, praying about the want, dwelling upon the want, till the want defines your heart. Because when you say, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, you're talking about a deep investment of the word a deep investment in, in, in consecration that I've committed in my heart I'm not going to be a homosexual. I've committed in my heart I'm not going to drink alcohol. I've committed in my heart I'm not going to steal his money. I've committed in my heart I'm not going to be an adulterer. I've committed in my heart I'm going to pursue him. These make my life easy because these decisions are solidified. Whimsical wants you'll sleep right through the alarm clock on. I, I think I want to wake up in the morning. You're not going to. I think I want to wake, work out at six. It ain't going to happen if you just, I think I want. 
I think I need to lose 20 pounds. I want to lose 20 pounds. It ain't going to happen. You've got to get this thing entrenched. I, I think I want to get out of this snowball of debt. I think I want is not going to happen. You've got to be so consecrated in your heart. Man, you're just disciplined. You don't spend money you don't have. You're paying off debt. You're losing weight. You can revolutionize your life if you can adjust your want. And it's totally in your control. Remember, Proverbs says, you guard your heart. That includes what it wants because your life is defined by your heart. Your, your life is like a light bulb and your heart is the slide that sticks in front of the light bulb. And we all in this service this morning live different lives, though we have the light of God emanating out of us because the slide in front of that light is different. And that slide is our hearts. And if you want a different life, change your heart. Quit blaming everybody around you. We reject the victim culture our nation is drunk in love with right now. You want to change your life? You change your heart. You can't blame anybody for your life but you. The quality of it, the quality of your marriage, the quality of your health, the quality of your kids, the quality of your money, the quality of your mind, it's totally up to you. Unless you are unfortunately born mentally handicapped, autistic, unless you had a brain injury, God has mercy on those people. They don't have the ability to control anything anymore. You do. So you got to fix it. Deep-rooted desires emanate from the heart. Those desires are sown by our continual wanting. Remember, the heart is whatever we want and keep on wanting. Think about the kid who grows up with a hateful dad or a hateful mom. That little child's heart begins to say, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. Once I get out of here, I'm never coming back. I just wish he was dead. And from the time they're eight, nine, ten years old, that heart becomes marinated with, I am getting out of this town and I'm never looking back and I don't care if the old man dies. That, that's a deep-rooted desire. And that kid will walk that thing out. He'll probably go into the military and never look back. He'll learn about his dad's death from a newspaper article and an aunt. And he won't even care because for 10 years of his formative life, he said, I can't wait to leave. And I hate that man. That child worked these principles and didn't even know they were doing it. The stronger we want something, the more our life will be steered to accomplish that desire. We all know what we ought to want, but that doesn't mean we truly and genuinely want it. There is the right desire, I would say, and then there's the true desire. We know we should desire God. We know we should desire to tithe. We know we should desire prayer, but that doesn't mean that's what we want. So religion gives the right answer, but not the truthful one. So we have to be able to look at our heart, look at our desires, and just be honest. I just don't want it bad enough. I just don't crave it bad enough. Because when you do, you make it work. With discipline, we can genuinely want what God commands us to want. Mark 7, 21 through 22, for from within, Jesus Christ speaking, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. We looked at that last week because it proves that the heart thinks and keeps on thinking. But Jesus went on to say in Mark 22, 21 and 22, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries. That's desire-based. You commit adultery because you want another person. Fornications, that's desire-based. You fornicate, that's the Greek word pornos. Pornos is any sexual sin that violates the Torah, the, ten, the, the Old Testament. So the morons of modern Christianity that says Jesus doesn't condemn homosexuality 
are ignoramuses of the law. Because when Jesus Christ said fornication in the King James, he spoke the Greek word pornos, which is any sexual sin. Well, Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. He's the Old Testament made flesh. So when Jesus Christ says sexual sin, he includes everything in the law. Bestiality, incest, adultery, homosexuality, transgenderism. When he says pornos, he says, look at the law. That's the word here, fornication. But the reason people are pornos is because of desire. It's what they want. We have churches telling their congregations, we understand you can't control what you want. Yes, you can and you must. You cast down thoughts, you cast down wants, and you bring them into captivity to the word of God. Adulteries, that's lust-based. Fornication, that's lust-based. Murders, thefts. You steal something because you want it. And then the next word in verse 22 is covetousness. That by itself is desire. Greedy desire. Out of the heart proceeds greedy desires. So there's another verse that confirms that the heart is the manifestation of the soul wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting. Acts 11:23. But when he, Barnabas, came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. This verse demonstrates that an individual's will or purpose can be exhorted, changed, and aligned with the will of God. One of the things we do as pastors and preachers is we exhort you and preach to change your wants. We tell you, you ought to want to come to church. You ought to want to forgive. You ought to want to honor the house of God. You ought to want to give 10%. You ought to want to share your faith. And coming here, that disciples you, and it makes you a follower of Christ. If your will doesn't line up with the will of God, you're not a good disciple. We have to change what you think, what you want, and what you emote. That's discipleship. Until Christ be formed in you. You're born again, but that doesn't mean he's formed in your soul yet. That's why we keep harping and preaching, because faith is affected by what you hear. Faith comes, or we would say faith is developed by what you hear. Romans 1, 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And this verse is a little terrifying because it means you can want something for so long that's out of the will of God, God gives you up and lets you have it. That verse says God gave them up. And he says it several times in Romans 1. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over. You don't want God to give up on you. So get your will fixed. God gave them up because of the lust of their heart. Like thoughts, desires can be dwelt upon until they define our heart. If the desires are wicked, they will bring judgment upon the practitioner. If they are holy desires, they will bring promotion and life. Look at your life. If you're not prospering the way you believe God's word tells you you can, judge what you want. Judge what's driving you. Judge your ambitions. Judge your cravings. What do you live for? If you can't say it's God, then you need to get that right. 
You ought to be able to say, my, my whole family lives for God. Our money lives for God. Our family revolves around God. Our free time revolves around God. If you can't say that, you don't have a leg in prayer to stand upon. You ought to be able to go into prayer and say, Lord, you know this household. You know we live for you. You know we're in your house. You know we build your house. Lord, you know we give money to everything you tell us to give money to. Lord, we're not ashamed of your gospel. We're praying for folks. We're witnessing to them. Lord, you know us. We are your people. We are your servants. But we need you to move for us, Lord. You don't have that kind of boldness when you're just like, meh. What do you live for? Because you can change it if you want. Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, contrast that with Romans 1. The desire of the Romans 1 reprobates was sexual deviancy. But what was Paul's heart's desire? Salvation for the Jews. Same organism, same organ, we should say, the heart. Both people knew God. He says in Romans 1, when they knew God, neither did they remember God nor were they thankful. They refused to acknowledge him. So they knew God. Paul knew God. But when Paul knew God, it transformed his heart and he wanted holy things for God's people. When the pervert knows God, he's not thankful, won't acknowledge God. His heart begins to want perverse things. Same organ, the heart organ, the same, same soul, but using the want for two different purposes. In contrast to the deviant desires of Romans 1, the desire of Paul's heart was to see Israel saved. Genuine heart desires, as opposed to whimsical ones, steer our lives. It's just, we, we've all experimented with this. I need to get a new Timex Iron Man watch. It's the kind of watch I've had since I was a kid. It's my outdoor watch, my workout watch, my caving watch. I found a really cool one with colors I'd never seen before. It looked like a Lego Timex Iron Man. Search all over the internet. Couldn't find it. Put Steve-O on the job because he has connections. Couldn't find it. We actually found one available in Singapore. $100 overpriced. I was willing to buy it because I love it. They don't ship outside Singapore. They, sing, they, they ship to Hong Kong, but not outside Malaysia. So I said to Steve-O, We'll see if I want this in a week or two, and then I'll just use my faith. Well, a couple weeks have gone by. I don't care anymore. I don't care. Why would I go to all that trouble? But I was real bold in the moment. I'll see if I want this, and I'll put my faith on it. I'll believe God for it. He'll bring me a watch from Singapore if that's what I want, because he's done it for me. But, you know, three weeks later, I'm like, eh, whatever. I don't care. So I'm not going to flex any faith on it, because I don't really want it. It was whimsical. It was about a four- or five-day journey for me. We found something out of Chile. I had to send the website to Hannah. Hannah, translate this for me. She said, um, Pastor, it says it's out of stock in Spanish. Oh, no es bueno. That is not acceptable. No acceptamundo, or whatever. <laughs> Deep-seated wants will steer your life. Whimsical ones, they just distract you for a couple of days. Just, eh, whatever. That's why I'm so thankful God doesn't answer prayer instantly. We'd have so much junk we'd be on the hoarding network and half of our friends would be dead because we would have cursed them and asked God to answer it. First <laughs> Corinthians seven thirty-seven. We got to get going here. Oh, good gracious. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, he that stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has authority over his own will. Do you see that clear as day? You have authority over your will. But it takes steadfastness of heart and has so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, that is to marry or not to marry. Different translations try to 
unravel that, that second part of the verse differently. He does well. But the part we need to see is that when you are steadfast in your heart, you can flex a muscle and control your will. You have authority to change what you want. And you better make sure it lines up with God's will. We have authority over our will. We can, have, we can control our wants, desires, and lusts. We can control ourselves. I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. Why'd you get nine pieces of cake yesterday? Couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. <laughs> we can control who and what we love. And anybody that tells you otherwise is a heretic. You can control who and what you Well, we divorced because we just didn't love each other anymore. You better tell that heart to shut up and get back to loving that woman you pursued for nine months. You can control who and what you love. You speak to your marriage. You, you command your heart to, to rejoice with the wife of your youth. And you can keep your heart there fervently. And honey, if he pursues you, you better know what to do when he catches you. Amen. I know a lot of them, they want to be pursued, but they don't know what to do when he, they get caught. So you can command that to be awakened too. Ooh la la, he caught me. He, you don't say, oh, let's do it again. Give me five minutes head start. Yeah, that's stupid. He's pursuing. I mean, when you're smart, he's pursuing. You want him to pursue because you know when he catches you? Ooh la la. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man according as he purposes in his heart, as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Concerning offerings, we are to determine or purpose in our hearts what we give. It's between you and God. Above the tithe, what you give is between you and God. You purpose it in advance. If we have been made, excuse me, if we have made the premeditation in our hearts, we will feel good about what we are giving and this will help make giving the gift a joyful act. But if we've been compelled or shamed like Christian television's really good at, into the offering, our hearts will be reluctant. In essence, we will give with our hand, but withhold with our heart. This rule applies to any kind of sacrifice, time, affection, help, etc. Make sure you purpose in your heart that you want to do this. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discern of the thoughts and intents, the purposes, the wills, the intentions, the wants of the heart. So that's one of our key verses on this subject. The stubborn heart, hardened heart, let's run through this. We've got three minutes. Stubbornness is an exertion of the will. We all understand that. A stubborn person is someone who has their heart set and refuses to be turned. And with that in mind, you can go and study all the verses that talk about they set their heart because those imply a, 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 an inflection of the will. Not every verse says set heart, but most of them that say they set their heart, they set not their heart. All of that is referring to the will being exercised in their heart. Uh, a stubborn person is someone who has their heart set and refuses to be turned. Stubbornness can be either good or evil, depending on the scenario. An individual might be stubbornly obedient to God in the face of persecution. That's good. Or they might be stubbornly disobedient in the pursuit of their own dreams. That's evil. The Bible always refers to the stubborn heart in a negative sense. Stubbornness is synonymous with rebellion, impenitent, stiff-necked, and hardness. Deuteronomy 31, 27, For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. 
Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, you have been rebellious against the Lord. And how much more after I die? Moses said, you're rebellious and I'm here to thump you. What will happen to this nation when I'm gone? Psalm 78, 8. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit, we would say attitude, was not steadfast with God. He calls stubborn and rebellion a heart that is wrong with God. Notice that the will changes the the value of the heart. When the will is stubborn and rebellious, your heart is wrong. We can change it, though. We change it through the prayer of consecration. Lord, not what I want, what you want. Not what I want, what you want. Not what I want, what you want. And that should be an easy prayer for us to pray. It's only hard when you've let your ambitions become idols. If if your pursuit of career causes you to refrain from praying, Lord, not what I want, but what you want, then your career has become an idol to you. Every one of us ought to be able to say, Lord, whatever you want in my life, thy will be done. I don't think you have permission to call yourself a Christian until you can pray that regularly. Because Christians submit their heart to the heart of God. I'm not saying you're not born again. I just don't think you're Christ-like. Christ submitted to the will of his Father. A right heart submits to God's will. A right heart stays right by habitually praying as Christ did, not my will, but your will be done. The end result of stubborn, self-willed hearts is judgment and wrath. Isaiah 57, 17, New Living Translation. I was angry, so I punished these greedy people. I withdrew from them, but they kept going on their own stubborn way in the way of their heart. Stubborn way, the way of the selfish heart. Romans 2, 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up for thyself unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Hebrews 3, 8 and 10, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So I was angry with them, and I said, Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. That's all a manifestation of the will saying, I don't want to. May that never be our heart. May we be able to say, Lord, you get what you want out of my life. May I be the stock you want to invest because I give you good returns, Lord. Stubbornness and refusal to do what God commands will provoke the anger of God. He is long-suffering, but he is not forever suffering. Hebrews 3.15, remember what it, is, uh, what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as Israel did when they rebelled. That stubborn will hardens the heart. I don't want to. You can't make me. Who are you to tell me what to do? Well, I'm your boss. I'm a police officer. I'm your colonel. I'm your president. I'm your governor. I'm your mayor. I'm your dad. How about just shut up and obey? The problem the church is facing today is the purposed teaching of rebellion. If our faith is built by what we hear, and it is, what happens when the church's leaders are teaching God's people rebellion? The people will align their wills contrary to God's will and consequently invoke the judgment of God upon themselves. This is nothing new. This is the sin of Balaam. Balaam taught Balak how to get God to curse God's own people. Jeremiah 28, 15 through 17. Then said the Lord, excuse me, then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, one prophet speaking to another prophet. Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent you. So one prophet tells the other prophet, God never sent you. But thou makest this people to trust in a lie. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hanani the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. God's people are being taught to rebel, and their faith is being built to live against God, and they think God's going to bless it. Only follow after those that will teach your heart to submit to the Bible and the God of the Bible. Whoever has your ears or your eyes will have access to your heart, and whoever has access to your heart has an opportunity to steer your life. And once your heart has been programmed, why doth thine heart carry thee away? We must control our hearts by controlling our desires. Amen.